hey, listen, we've got this hotel, you know, keeping it shuttered and hoping for a, a brighter future isn't the move. We need to get this thing open and, and get this resort humming. And that's what we've been doing. There was a point where, where there was a decision to be made and, and the right one was made. And the fact that we're able to have this conversation is, you know, a testament to a lot of smart people. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. The Storm Skiing Podcast explores the business, history, and culture of Northeast skiing. Subscribe to the Storm Skiing Newsletter at skiing.substack.com to get all Storm Skiing podcasts and content as soon as they're live. You can download the Storm Skiing Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. Episode 7, Kevin Mack, General Manager of Burke Mountain, Vermont. What is the best mountain in Vermont that you have never skied? If you haven't been there, it's probably Burke. You look at the map, you think it's too far, it's too small. It's not, and it's not. I made this mistake for a really long time. Finally made the roadie last winter. Yes, Burke is far north, but it is only seven miles off I-91. Time-wise, I finally figured out it's about the same distance for me as Killington. And what an awesome mountain. Killer glades, a perfect beginner area, an enormous racing legacy. It's also in a very interesting place right now. Burke is mixed up in that same basket of legal troubles as Jay Peak. A court-appointed receiver is doing his best to smooth all that over and find a buyer. In the meantime, someone has to run the place. That someone is Kevin Mack. I reached out to Kevin, and he said, let's do it. We talked about receivership, talked about the terrain, talked Burke history, talked snowmaking upgrades, and we talked about a whole lot more. Let's go. My guest today is the general manager at Burke Mountain, Vermont. Prior to moving to Vermont in 2011, he devoted his career to conservation efforts. He worked as a Washington-based consultant for groups as varied as the Nevada Wilderness Project, the Potomac Conservancy, and the Wilderness Society. Prior to that, he lived in Reno, Nevada, where he helped secure permanent protection for millions of acres of wilderness. Kevin Mack is my guest. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Stuart. So one of the things that really stands out to me about Burke is the glades. When you look at your peer mountains, the other mid-sized mountains in the region, they all really focus on the groomers, and I get that. That's what most people ski, and Burke has that too. You have a really good groomer system, but the glades just blew me away when I went there. They're extensive, they're steep, they're cut well, they're a lot of fun. Why is it so important for Burke to have that those pods of expert terrain in addition to your standard medium-sized mountain, intermediate, and beginner areas? Yeah, well, you know, we're a, we're a skier's mountain, and our our glades are part of that experience. And from the opening of, of Burke as a resort back in the 50s, when glades were basically all there were, we're we're proud of that that heritage, and uh, it's something that our guests look for when they come here is the glade experience. And we have a lot of glade skiers and backcountry skiers on staff, so that makes it easier as well. So it's something that, you know, we're always interested in in meeting the guest expectation. And in this case, it's a simple one. We've had great glades. And for us, it's just maintaining that experience so so folks continue to have a, a great time out there. And how hard is it to maintain that? Because when I was skiing back there, a thought triggered my mind. And I was like, I feel like I'm out west right now. And I happen to be there on a really good snow day. But the just the spacing of it and sort of pitch and the sustained uh, aspect of it, is that something you go through and, and uh, recut every summer and, and just take out all the little stuff? 
Yeah, we have a, a an ongoing list, like like uh, many ski resorts, for many different aspects of uh, of maintenance, and uh, our glade system is is one of those. And we each fall go in there and keep them maintained so they're safe and and they provide a great experience. And you know, many members of the Burke team that help facilitate keeping our glades open and and patrollers and such you know they're they're part of a, a larger regional effort up here in the kingdom to open up glade skiing on some other public lands out uh, at Mount Hoare, for instance, uh, which is now a popular location. So it, it's in our DNA, and, and yeah, it, it takes some time and effort, but, you know, like anything else, if it's worth it, we want to get it done. Is that something that Burke's actively involved in, those other mountains, those hiking mountains? Uh, not as an organization, no, but our but our staff, uh, you know, we have some some really dedicated bikers and skiers here, and you know they're they're doing it uh, because they have a passion for for the sport and the out of doors. And certainly, we we love having folks uh, here with that passion. And you know, to the extent that having more skiable terrain within, in this case, you know, 15 minutes of Burke. While it does not uh, uh, benefit us directly through ticket sales, et cetera, um, it's another amenity that, that you know, frankly, I think helps sets us apart from some other resorts and helps us with the story that if you come here, uh, whether you're a biker or a skier, you know, this is a place where there's a lot of adventure to be had, and, and you know, we want you to come here and enjoy yourself. Do you have a, a large volunteer population that comes and helps out with that? You mentioned the academy. Yeah, so, you know, uh, volunteerism ebbs and flows, but certainly, you know, Burke Mountain Academy is with their student body of 65 to 70 odd matriculating students is, is a reliable source for projects, and, and they're looking for, for projects during the school year. So they're incredibly helpful when, when we need assistance with things. And we have volunteer patrollers, of course, so... Yeah, it, it's part of our mix having, you know, volunteer support on the mountain, whether it's for events or, or for, you know, meeting those some of those staffing needs where, where a volunteer is, is an appropriate stand-in for, for a staff person. Now, the Academy kids, those are racing racing kids. Do you find that they like to, to go into the glades for something different, get after it a little bit, kind of get a little more creative? Yeah, I don't know to the extent how much the the BMA students are in the glades. Um, you know, these these kids are are training sun up to sundown, um, mm-hmm. and certainly to to have you know their their free skiing time. I I don't know what their coaches expect of them when they're in there, uh, if they're in the glades or just some of the other groomers. But you know, certainly the the BMA kids are are skiers who are. are you know, have a passion for it at, at a whole another level. So if they're having fun in the groomers, that's great. And if it makes them better skiers and, and better racers on the steeps of, of upper and lower Warren's way, you know, all the better. You know, on the flip side of that, that lower pod you have, the lower high-speed quad, that's one of the best beginner pods I've seen because it's just completely isolated from all of the aggressive terrain. How big of a part does that pod play in bringing families to the mountain and kind of really creating that whole family experience and in turn creating that next generation of skiers that is really what we need more than anything? Yeah, that's a great point. And and we do have incredible beginner terrain. Uh, it, it is separate and distinct from our more advanced level stuff on the upper mountain. And, you know, if you're a, a, a new skier or a skier, who's skied elsewhere but but not skied at Burke you know it's really an incredible space because you're you're one you can't get lost everything leads down to the base lodge it's accessible to the hotel 
and you know the the opportunity to to just get your your turns in, but you know before you take the step to go up to the Midberg Express and and you know try to take it off the top is 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 certainly something that that we're proud of. You know we're 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 known as a family mountain, and you know we have this incredible ski racing heritage, and and you know they are they're in some ways juxtaposed, but they're also you know logical parts of a, a larger whole, and you know the more uh, families, we we keep coming here, and and with the younger kids, and or you know a first timer who's in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and give them that experience in the lower mountain. The terrain is great, the experience is is great because you're not dealing with uh, you know speed down here. It, it truly is uh, from a a, a a story with a family coming here asking about how their kids are going to be in the lower area. You know what what kind of interaction will they have? Um, is it safe? Is it a good space where they can feel comfortable letting their kids kind of roam around the lower mountain area? They absolutely can because there, there's no chance that they will get on a trail that they shouldn't be on on the lower mountain. And, you know, that's that's just, you know, great for, for a whole number of reasons. I'd add that this year we also moved uh, our a magic carpet down here uh, over 200 feet long to service our beginner train. Historically, we've had a 50-foot magic carpet, uh, but this summer we regraded the slope, put in this longer covered magic carpet to accommodate the beginner skier, and, and we're really excited about what that's going to do for us this, this upcoming winter season. So do you see a lot of families come there, put the kids in ski school for the day, go up to the upper mountains, shred the glades, do some long groomers, come back, ski with them a little bit later in the day? Yeah. Our, our, you know, our, our ski school is is fantastic, and and that's exactly right. Or they, you know, the parents sit up in the tamrack, which has these big windows that look right down on a, a good portion of the the learning area. Certainly, the entire magic carpet area and our and our J bar, and it just makes it easier for a parent who you know is is wanting to keep tabs on on their their kids. And midweek, we have a a, a really incredible school program. We have. Schools coming from you know upwards of an hour away, Monday through Friday. Buses pull up, kids pour out. They slap on the skis, they slap on the snowboards. They they go through lessons and, and they work through, you know, uh, depending on their skill level, progression from Magic Carpet to J Bar to our our Sherburn Express. And uh, again, it's just you know from the school's perspective, it's a great experience because the, the kids on that lower the lower mountain area are are really kept in a space where, um, you know, everyone can be kept tabs of and, and they're having a great time and, and ultimately working their way up to being able to ski off the off the summit. So you've really got something for everyone. And then you also have a very friendly uphill policy. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of, of opening up that hill as a community resource in that way? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, as I said, you know, many of our staff are, are backcountry skiers and, and uh, uphillers themselves. So for us, it was, you know, natural to Welcome uphill skiers. Like every other ski resort, we we have uh, safety concerns and and uh, you know concerns with how we communicate information to a group of people that oftentimes are skiing up the mountain, tracking up the mountain, and skiing after the resort is closed. But mm-hmm. uh, we have we have a great great communication there, and and we're fortunate to be able to offer that experience and our relationship with the. The uphill skiers, which you know, frankly, m- many of them are also season pass holders, uh, is great. And, and you know, as, as the industry changes, if that continues to grow, as we've seen it over the years, you know, we don't we don't see ourselves needing to do anything different here, other than to continue to communicate, you know, safe practices and, and keep everyone on the same page with respect to 
you know, mountain operations and, and that skier that might be coming down at 4.45 p.m. or near dark, that kind of a thing. And so lots of ways to get up and down. And, and over the past several years, over the past decade, really, the mountain has really undergone a lot of improvements, a lot of uh, improvements to snowmaking, uh, high-speed lift from to the summit. How have those improvements transformed the on-mountain experience of skiing at Berg? Yeah, well, the, the Midberg Express, which is our high speed to the summit, was replaced a, a number of years ago and, you know, just increased uphill capacity. Uh, you know, we all love the old Willoughby chair, but, you know, the seat was hard and it hit you in the back of the legs when you were loading. And uh, while well, that, that was fun, it's nice to have a, a ride that gets you up to the top in half the time, uh, gets you mm-hmm. to the summit in about eight minutes. And, you know, it, it just allows us to, to continue to, to grow our, our skier visitor number with, with that lift. You know, similarly with the, you know, the magic carpet being down here, that will allow us to serve more more of our beginner skiers. And, you know, then looking at our, our snowmaking, you know, we recognize that, you know, snowmaking is, is the name of the, the game, has always been. Um, there's been some efforts in the past, but we really look to be very strategic uh, about the improvements we can make and, and have been making and, and plan to make. So that we're competitive and, and so that, you know, the vagaries of weather, which stress out every general manager at every ski area anywhere in the world, we have a greater resiliency there. So we're pretty excited about what we've done so far on snowmaking. We, we have more to do, and uh, it's allowed us to, in the past three years, open consistently earlier than we've ever opened before, including mm-hmm. uh, last year opening in November, which was uh, a first for for Burke in at least 20, 25 years. So more to do, but, you know, pretty excited about how that has changed, how we can think about winter operations, you know, going into to November and early December. Last year, the mountain also announced a significant expansion of its snowmaking pond in East Burke, which would make you less dependent on that river water. That was the last I saw. It was from maybe August last year, an article in one of your local papers. What's the status on that project? Was that completed or is that ongoing? So ongoing. So the, it's a multi-phase project that, in, that includes you know, new guns. Uh, we're putting in 30 new high-energy efficiency HKD guns on our early season trails right now. Um, have been replacing some some old pipes, you know, historically mountains buried pipes and left them in the ground and, and mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to them, and then you find them uh, crumbling underneath the foot. So we've been pulling pipes out of the ground, replacing them with, with new pipe, getting them above ground, uh, making uh, maintenance and, and dealing with issues far easier, and then looking at pump capacity. We've been replacing some pumps, uh, our river uh, withdrawal pumps, our booster pumps here. The part of the project that has started but has, has yet to fully come to fruition is the, the pond, the vision is to have a 30 million gallon pond that will allow Burke to again have resiliency from the, the, the effects of the river, which includes freezing, uh, which includes a number of, of things, uh, you know, droughts that can make uh, make snowmakers and general managers pretty stressful in November when you're relying on on the Pasumpsic River to, to supply your snowmaking needs. And the progress on on that particular aspect of the snowmaking project still awaits some resolution of some efforts that Michael Goldberg, the receiver, has has undertaken with respect to the EB-5 and and some jobs creation, which is all tied to ultimately, you know, Burke being put uh, on the market for sale. And um, he still has some things to do there. Uh, He's working towards that. And so progress, yes, pretty excited about the progress. The the big pond with all the water is in the future, and and we're still excited about what that's going to do for us when, when we're able to get that started. 
Yeah, you know, you have a, a really interesting history for a ski area manager in that you spent so much of your career in conservation. And as you're working through issues like this snowmaking pond expansion, how useful has that background been in informing the way that you approach those and maybe get it through the permitting process, which is not always easy to do in Vermont? Sure. Um, you know, I, I I think it helps, but, you know, it, whether it's it's my job now or my previous careers in, in conservation or prior to that with Patagonia, you know, it's it's really about people and place. And, you know, when you're dealing with, with issues that, that, you know, matter to the bottom line, but the bottom line also matters to, you know, the people that you're working with and, and certainly at Burke, the community and, and the impact that the, the decisions that I make will have on that community. It certainly in, informs how I approach things but at the end of the day, we receive guidance from the state, and, you know, we're a resort that's always going to do the right thing. And, you know, the right thing sometimes is easier to do than other times, but if it's the right thing, you know, you do it. And, you know, my background allows me to see both sides and not see the, the side of regulation or, or going through permitting processes as, as being inherently bad. The challenges for sure, but ultimately, if you're honest with what you're doing and, and you go through the process, I think the process ultimately you know, works for, has worked for us and will continue to allow us to, to do the things we need to do to serve the community. The new pond, for instance, would we wouldn't be withdrawing any more water out of the river than we are allowed to now. It would just allow us to store that water. So mm -hmm. our net withdrawal from the, the Pesumsic would arguably remain the same, if not potentially could be less given the pumping capacity we could put to it. So the pond itself is, you know, has some permitting tied to it, but ultimately, you know, will be a benefit to the town and could provide some benefit to the river system that, you know, we currently pump from on a, on a daily basis, you know, starting November 1. And how difficult is it to navigate that tension between conservation and development? Because I feel like everyone tends to fall into these all-or-nothing attitudes these days, and it's either like don't develop anything or steamroll everything down. So you're, you're in this position where you're obviously very committed to conservation. You dedicated your whole career to it, yet your responsibility is to help the mountain and town grow. How tough of a position does that put you in? Yeah, I don't think it, it puts me in a, in a tough position at all. It, my career was, was built on finding ways to yes. Um, easy to say no and then walk away or, or turn your back. But ultimately, that doesn't get anywhere in a, in a world in which there are demands on, on our natural resources. There are real needs out there. So my experience and my background was, you know, being pragmatic and understanding that, you know, you need to be part of the conversation in order to get to a win. And, mm -hmm. and saying no is often not the win that people think that it is, certainly in the right. short term and certainly not in the long term. My background, I think, allows me to, to see both sides. I think it helps us see things and make good decisions, but I don't see much tension at all with, with some of the things we're, we're doing here. We're a resort that's, you know, pretty lucky to be in a beautiful place, and we all recognize that that comes with the responsibility to, with respect to, you know, clean air and water and, and habitat for the wildlife that we share. So it's, uh, you know, simple for me. I don't feel attention. I, I feel pretty good about what our approach has been and, and don't see any real challenges with that, you know, going forward as we grow snowmaking or in, envision doing other changes, you know, down the road. Yeah, it seems like you're well positioned for it because not only are you general manager at Burke, but you're also one of the things I left off your bio at the beginning. So there was just so much was board of director at Autobahn Vermont. So I, I think it's clear you're invested in both pieces of this. And, and I'm sure that that uh, helps make it a little easier. One of the things that I always hear about Burke 
when I bring it up is how remote it is. And I always kind of let that brainwash me and I wasn't really looking close enough. I would just kind of look at the dot on the map. But when I pulled out my map, I saw that it's seven miles off I-91. And when I ran the, the numbers, it didn't take me a lot longer to get to Burke than it did to get to Killington. And it's faster than getting to Stowe, Mad River Glen, Sugarbush, all these other bigger mountains. How do you fight that perception that Burke is just too remote, too far, too cold? Yeah, that's a, a historical bummer, right? People uh, yeah. <laughs> making assumptions. Um, but you're right, it, it is perception. One, we're, we're no colder than any other place in, in Vermont. You know, Certainly sure. the, the kingdom tends to settle in the cold air a bit, but there are times when we like to proclaim how cold we get, but Jay Stowe, Mad River, you know, we're all cold in the winter, which which uh, we all want and, and look for. Mm-hmm. How we push back is, you know, we need to be in in the marketplace telling our story, you know, with, with having multiple owners over the years, being a mid-sized mountain, which is, you know, not, not uncommon in the industry. You know, I, I believe we've not had a consistency of story to break down some of those assumptions and interpretations, and, and one of them is, well, you, you're, you're too far away. Well, you know, we're, we're easier to get to. I can tell you driving the interstate to Burke is a lot easier than getting on some of our uh, scenic byways um, to get mm-hmm. to the ski area once you get off of the interstate. And yet, seven miles off the interstate, you, you really do feel when you arrive at Burke that it's a special place. You described, you know, being over on our east side in our glades and you felt like you were out west. That's what awaits you. And, and for us to push back on, on some of that misinterpretation of space and time and how long it will take you to get somewhere and how much ski time you'll have and, and how many runs you'll get in when you get here, that's an opportunity for us. And that's something we've been doing, you know, for the past few years. And, and it's working. And the fact is, you're right, we are, we are closer than a lot of those resorts. Even our guests from Montreal, we are as, as close to Montreal as, as you are to, as they are to Stowe. So we are not remote. We have some of the best benefits of the experience of feeling remote when you're here. But your travel here and the distance here and the time you spend in your car with your family is no more, and in fact, in in many cases, less than some of the other resorts that seemingly are closer. We're telling that story. People are responding to it, and we're going to continue to do it to break down that that assumption. Yeah, and once you get there with a Midburk Express, you can rack up some serious vertical, uh, especially if you come during the week and there's not a lot of people there. So um, you you mentioned Canada. Uh, How significant is the Canadian market? Because I I think being American-centric, we think of all of the metro areas to the south, but really Montreal is, you know, millions of people and that's not that far away. So how big of a portion of your skiers is that? Yeah, it, it's growing. So historically, Burke, you know, we've always looked south down the, the 91 and 93 quarters, you know, Hartford, Hartford, Boston, uh, southern New Hampshire. And we have an incredible opportunity, as you, you noted, with our friends across the border in Quebec. Uh, Montreal is, is frankly closer to us than Boston. And communities in Quebec that that many Americans haven't heard of, like like Sherbrooke, uh, it's a community of 300,000 people. It's an hour away, and you know these are these are opportunities for us again to talk to that audience, an audience that loves having a, a true on mountain lift service hotel. You know our lift comes right to the hotel. It's not you know through the woods and over the, over the dale and through the, um, it's it's there, and so. That audience responds really well to the amenity of, of the hotel, and they're very familiar with our kind of terrain because it's it's quite similar to the terrain that that they will find at their traditional ski haunts up in up in Quebec. So 
we're seeing some growth there, and, and, and part of that, frankly, comes through our summertime business, our bike business in East Burke. We're the mountain biking capital of, of the East. People come here because of Kingdom Trails, which is our grassroots uh, trail network, over 100 landowners. We are a landowner. And, and then we have the Burke Downhill Bike Park. And so the Canadian audience comes here in the summer in, in numbers that, that currently far exceed, uh, exceed our winter numbers, but they are an audience that's staying in a hotel that are having a touch point with the mountain that previously maybe they had not had. They're seeing where the lift is. They're seeing where the restaurant is, and their eyes get big when they realize if they come here at par, I would add, they can get in a lot of turns and have a great experience and have a great time just as they do with their mountain bike in the summertime. So you've mentioned the Burke Hotel a number of times, and, and that just came online in the last couple of seasons. Um, you've called it a game changer in various places. How has that property helped to redefine the mountain as more of a destination? Yeah, well, being at Burke has, has been going on since about 1953. Well, since 53, when there was some, some cat skiing started before the, the first Palma lift was put in in about 55. So in September of 2016, we opened this 116-room hotel right at the base of the Mid-Burke Express. And so we had a lot of experience in what Burke was as a ski area, both at our upper mountain and lower mountain. But what the hotel has done is, is really allowed us to do some things that until you opened the doors and started welcoming guests and realized there were a lot of aha moments that allowed you to tell that story, that allowed you to provide some experiences to the guests that prior to the hotel you, you couldn't do. And whether that's sitting, having coffee, looking out towards the, the Willoughby Gap and towards Canada, which is one of the most spectacular views in, in all of the Northeast, or being able to walk out and get dressed in your room, pick up your skis and your ski locker down on the second floor and walk out that, that same floor and in about 120 steps be on the lift. That's incredible. And for people to make the commitment for groups, tour, tour groups and ski racing groups and families to be able to make a commitment to ski at Burke well prior to the season. So they're, you know, folks are booking now in anticipation of a great winter. That's incredible, and th that, again, puts the, the responsibility on us to, to make the magic happen, but it allows us to think of new ways of doing things. It requires us of, of thinking of new ways of doing things, and ultimately, I, I'm very proud of what the, the team here has been able to do because we've been we've been up to the task. We opened a hotel that sat vacant for uh, a year with, with nothing happening, and you know now we're it's driving revenue, it's driving guest satisfaction, and so it, it really is a game changer. And the opportunities that we can build around that that hotel and the guest staying in the hotel are we've only scratched the surface, and, and you know we're excited about the additional things we can do to keep guests feeling good, keep guests coming back, and you know importantly on on the business side, it allows us to tell a story where if if you want to come to Burke, you know you can you can stay a couple nights because the hotel's right here, and you can get mm -hmm. your your turns in and. You know, it, it's simple, whether it's our learning terrain and how simple it is down there and, and family-friendly to how accessible the hotel is to both the learning terrain and the advanced terrain. It's just a, it's just a great story that, that we're now able to tell in a marketplace where there's a lot of great stories out there in the ski world, and we're just excited to be able to, to tell our own great story. Yeah, the, the hotel, for a while, I wasn't certain what was going to happen with it, and you mentioned it sat vacant for a year. And there was a period of a lot of uncertainty, uh, a lot of legal troubles, big scandal, and the court-appointed receiver comes in, Michael Goldberg. Uh, and I think that could have gone any number of different ways. So he could have shut the mountain down. He could have changed management. Um, he could have nixed the hotel project. 
how important was it, not just to skiers, but to the community that you serve, that he kept the mountain running, got the hotel open, kept management in place, just said, full speed ahead, let's do this thing? Yeah, it, it can't be understated. I mean, it was it was the right move, and Michael deserves a, a lot of credit for making that decision. And, and he retained uh, Leisure Hotel and Resorts, which is a, a resort management company to manage both, both Jay and Burke. And they've been great. They advised him and said, hey, listen, we've got this hotel, you know, keeping it shuttered and, and hoping for a, a brighter future um, isn't the move. We need to get this thing open and, and get this resort humming. And that's what we've been doing. And so you're exactly right. And I, I've said this in, in town meetings. There was a point where, where there was a decision to be made and, and the right one was made. And the, the fact that we're able to have this conversation is, you know, a testament to a, a lot of smart people really thinking about what was going to be best for the resort, what was going to put the resort in the best position to uh, to ultimately be, be saleable to someone down the road. And that change alone has given us so many opportunities, and I'm just really excited about how we've responded to that, how, how Michael's been so supportive, how the team at, at Leisure has been, you know, so supportive in, in providing guidance and support and, you know, helping us uh, find our way through some things that uh, when you open a 116-room hotel, you didn't necessarily expect, but then it happens, and just the support structure has been super there. And so when, when people say what's re- receivership like, it's like running a business. There's there's no, uh, yeah, day-to-day, there's no difference. It's just a, a great support structure, and, and, yeah, we recognize there'll be a change in the future with, with ownership, but... The, the, the community of Burke and, and the resort community here, the one thing, we're pretty resilient. We've seen a lot of owners, and, and I'd argue that we're currently in one of the best ownership periods that the, this resort has seen in, frankly, quite some time. Yeah, it's hard to imagine how devastating that would have been if it would have gone a different way. And Michael's overseeing not only Burke, but Jay Peak as well. When he first came in, how did you work with him to ensure that the mountain would open on time, everything would run as normal? What, you know, what, I'm sure he had a lot of questions. I'm not sure if this is his expertise, but how did you start off and, and make sure that everything would keep moving right along? Sure. You know, the, the backstory, a little backstory is, is I was the base operations director for the previous owner and CEO. And about a month before Securities and Exchange Commission and both Jay and Burke received visits, I was let go uh, as part of a, a large dismissal of many staff here at Burke under the, mm. the Curious leadership. And so my house looks at Burke Mountain. I'm fortunate wow. to have a living room windows that look and my deck look right at the mountain. And I, I saw that hotel sitting there. And so I just built it. I worked on my own deck and then went uh, one day, came to the mountain, met the guys from Leisure and just said, hey, I'm around, you know, to the extent you you can use me, I'm happy to help, you know, just want to throw my, my hat in the ring. They brought me back after about a, you know, a two and a half month hiatus away from work, which which was great. I got to build, build a new deck, but being brought on as part of the leadership team and helping to facilitate conversations about how to make some smart decisions in a short period of time. The receivership began in in late April. We opened the hotel in September. That's a a lot of time to punch list a building and and get it ready for guests. And we did an incredible job. I don't, I frankly, it was a blur and 
you know, I stood next to the former governor of, of Vermont and, and cut the ribbon opening the hotel that day in September. And pretty incredible feeling for everyone there, you know, a testament to, to Michael's commitment to the place and, and the Leisure Resort's commitment to Burke. And those conversations are ongoing. You know, this is a living, breathing place, whether it's snowmaking, whether it's hotel operations. And the email and the phone line is always open. So they're, they're a tremendous resource to have. Well, that's a great comeback story. I mean, it had to be a bummer to to be to fall out, but you know, then to be able to come back and and help lead the place through this challenging time that that has to be pretty satisfying. You know, as far as the current status goes, things trickle out here and there. Um, it looks like the search for a buyer at Jay is moving ahead, but not at Burke. There were some other issues that uh, Goldberg wanted to resolve around jobs. Is there any kind of status update you can give us? Because there's not a ton of media on this that I can find. Yeah, I know you're right. You know, Burke and, and Jay were, were on, on different tracks now. And, and, it, and it all comes down to Michael's responsibility to the EB-5 investors. And in this case, those investors that invested in Burke and the EB-5 program, there are number requirements with respect to the number of jobs created and then the ability for that program to then kick out uh, visas for these folks and so that's where we are with the snowmaking project, for instance. If Michael can get some changes made so that the federal program will recognize these jobs that we could create through the snowmaking project, and then we can move forward with the, the totality of it, he can then get the sign-off. These folks, the investors, will be, will be taken care of uh, with respect to their you know, desire to, to come to this country. And, and then he can put Burke on the market as he's done with Jay because Jay has, has met their, their EB-5 requirements. So that's his focus on a day-to-day basis. I don't deal with that at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the EB-5 program, it's, it's not, you know, as if, if I just hired a new, you know, sous chef or hired a new lift operator. The, the program has some, some requirements there that, that go beyond just operating jobs. They have to be jobs tied to construction and, and capital projects. And, and that's why we're, we're, we're looking at the snowmaking project as one way to uh, help Michael get those numbers so that, again, ultimately he can put Burke on the market, which, you know, will be at some point in the future. I don't think about that at all. I got enough on my plate to do on a daily basis, but it's, it's good to know that he's thinking about it. And the benefit, frankly, for the resort is is the solution to that problem is one that will directly benefit the resort. It won't be this tangential tangential thing that would require some interpretation. If it goes as, as we've sort of planned it, um, and there's, there's many steps to go here, we will have a, a first-rate snowmaking system on par with, with the other resorts in the state, and that's going to do wonders for our winter operations, and, and you know, we'll, we'll put us in a position to be, to be seen by potential investors as, as you know, the, the kind of place that is worth taking a real deep look into. So even though you're on a separate track with Jay now, you do still have a relationship with that mountain. You still have the Judge Pass, which you share. I'm just kind of curious about your working relationship with them. Are, are you kind of doing your own things, or, or do you consider them partners? Yeah, well, we uh, both. Uh, we do our own thing, but we're partners. You know, Steve Wright, uh, Jim over at Jay, he's got an incredible operation over there, an incredible team, and they went through a period of growth that is amazing what they were able to, to get done and what that's done to the experience at, at Jay Peak. And, and so we do our own thing from a, a partnership standpoint. We do have the, the Judge Pass, uh, which is our shared ski product. But from a from an operational standpoint, we share human resources. We share that function, so the the processing of new hires, et cetera, um, and dealing with the vagaries and idiosyncrasies of 
staffing, and then we do share IT functions. So some of our systems are intertwined, but from a daily operational standpoint, from a you know yearly budgeting, they do their thing, we do our thing, and it's great great relationship for Burke because we can you know we have questions, we have things going on, they have many more years in running the hotels over there and, and dealing with some of those those changes that I described. So they're a great sounding board for things, and you know Steve and his team are their neighbors. You know they're an hour away, so they're they're neighbors in many respects. And so again, part of the the, the change with receivership. There was the relationship uh, with Jane Burke prior to receivership because the Q owned uh, both resorts, so it was it was not a new uh, relationship for Jane Burke to be be connected. But but frankly, under receivership, it's a it's a far more natural and organic and and beneficial to both relationship. And if they get the issue sorted out at Burke, do you think they'll market and try to shop around both mountains together, or they've split at this point? Yeah, uh, anyone's guess. You know, put the ball on the roulette and let it fly and see where it lands. Burke and Jay run different timelines, so Michael's going to do what's what's best for the investors and, and, and for the resort. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'll be watching with the rest of us, but the fact is if, if it makes sense, A may happen. If it doesn't make sense, B may happen. Right. So while you've been going through all this and, and Michael's doing his thing, the whole landscape around you, uh, has been disrupted pretty heavily in the last few years. So, so Vail bought Stowe, then they bought Akimo and Sunapee, then they come in and buy Peak Resorts, uh, then Altera moves in with its Icon Pass. I'm just curious about your reaction to this evolving landscape and what it means for a place like Burke, that yes, you have the joint pass with Jay, uh, but you're not attached to one of these larger passes. You know, What's your reaction to that? Does it create some challenges for you in setting yourself apart in that landscape? Yeah, there's there's been a lot going on for sure. Um, you know, I, I I look at it as as opportunities, right? I mean, we're we have some really cool things we do here, some some incredible experiences, whether on the terrain side or or just you know on the summer side with with you know the the mountain biking that is no one can beat. And I look at at those changes as as being opportunity for the skier out there, the biker, the resort goer, um, however you want to couch them as as you know they're going to start to look around and see where there's value, see if if these changes benefit them and their family and what they like to do, and and some are going to choose to stay within their existing you know resorts and take advantage of of maybe some of those new opportunities that the that you know the new passes offer. But some are going to look to, to mix it up a bit because they, they want to try something new, and this is an opportunity for them to do that. And we're excited by, you know, what we're able to show them. Our season pass numbers uh, since starting receivership have been growing. So I'm going to take that every day. That tells me a lot. And even with these changes, I think the guests out there, the skier, the biker, they're looking at Burke and saying, that's a really special place. I want to invest in, in my time and, and uh, you know, my dollar and, and, and spend some time there. So I don't look at it as a, as a, as a challenge. Um, I think it's a good thing for the industry to, to be nimble and, and to make some decisions that keep us relevant and, and recognizing that you know, skiing is not the same in 2018 as it was in 1988. Things have changed. Uh, expectations are are different in a lot of ways, both on on you know on the on mountain side, but also on the amenity side, and that's okay because we're you know ski resorts are, are much more than than ski these days, as you know, and and if it helps us be part of a larger conversation about getting people outside, getting people you know recreating and and having people have a great time in in Vermont, for instance, 
let, let's have it. And if it also allows us to have a stronger voice with respect to, you know, some of the real challenges we have in, in the ski industry with respect to, you know, uh, workforce, the real challenge of climate change and, and threat there, and just the things that have long been nipping at the heels of the, the resorts, if this helps us have a stronger voice and allows us to address some things that make skiing stronger, that allows us to get more young folks and, and old folks and every folks on the hill, I'm all for it. And we're, we're seeing some benefits from it. And, you know, we're excited uh we're excited to see what's going on, and who knows what will happen for us down the road. So, you know, tune in later. <laughs> yeah, th- there does seem to be a little bit of an appetite, a growing appetite among skiers in the Northeast for a more distinctive experience. Um, one of the other mountains I featured recently on the podcast was Magic, and you see their numbers climbing every year. And, and I think that's that's a reaction to a lot of the mega resort trend that we see um, and the consolidation that we see is, is folks looking for a little bit more of an authentic experience. And, and I think they'll like what they find at Burke for sure. So we're, we're almost out of time here, Kevin. But the, the last thing I want to ask you about is there's a room at Burke called the First 13. Uh, what can you tell us about the significance of that room to Burke's history? Yeah, well, uh, it's funny story because everyone assumed that it had to do with the, the First 13 colonies. And that is not the case. I can dispel that, uh, that rumor. The First 13 is a reference to the First 13 men, and, and they, they were men, back in 53, who started a company called Ski Burke Mountain Incorporated. And that was the year that was formed. It was 13 guys, all locals. They had looked at Burke, which since the, the mid-1930s, because of the Civilian Conservation Corps, it had this, this road to the top, which is, which is now our toll road. Looked at the tremendous opportunity for skiing as skiing was beginning to become something that more Americans were, were interested in doing. And so that company formed in 53, and, and for the first two years or so, it was a, a cat skiing-type operation. And then in 55, the, the first uh, PAMA was installed. So that's the first 13. It's an homage to, to our history. It's in, a, it's in a building that is new and, and energy efficient and serves the guests. So it's a, it's a nice, uh, um, one, it's a great space next to the View Pub, which has got an incredible view out to Willoughby Gap. But it's just a nice, cozy space. And, you know, we're, we, we've long looked to do a little interpretive thing in there because most people assume it, it has to do with 1776. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll have to check it out next time I'm there. Kevin, I cannot thank you enough uh, for coming on the show today. Uh, I'll be counting down the days till ski season and hoping to see you this this winter. Well, thank you, Stuart. Yeah, come on out, Burke. It's going to snow hard. Yeah, Farmer's Almanac. It's going to be cold. It's going to be snowy, but the right kind of cold and the right kind of snow. That's Kevin Mack, General Manager of Burke Mountain, Vermont. That mountain has been through so much. If we lose Burke... It would have been gutting for the community, for the state, for the industry. I'm glad there are people smart enough to keep that mountain going, keep Jay going. Make some time this winter. Go check out Burke. You will not be disappointed. That is one of the best mid-sized true skiers mountains in the entire Northeast. If you like that interview, if you like the show, go to iTunes. Leave us a review and a rating. Follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. And most important, subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. The podcast is only part of the storm. There's plenty more content. You can get that by subscribing to the free newsletter. Subscribe your friends too, or at least tell them about it. Next up, we zoom out of the Northeast. We're going to have a more industry-wide episode. Liftopia CEO Evan Reese will join me on the storm. If you don't have a big pass, you don't have an epic, you don't have an icon, the thought of walk-up ticket prices scares you. 
Liftopia is where you want to go. It's a great site. They're doing a lot of really cool things. And we're going to talk about it next week with the CEO of the whole operation. Thank you so much for your time. I'm Stuart Winchester. Talk to you again next week. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.